0: section 4 of the princess and the goblin this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by lizzie driver the princess and the goblin by george macdonald chapter 7 to 8 chapter 7 the mines curdie went home whistling he resolved to say nothing about the princess, for fear of getting the nurse into trouble. For while he enjoyed teasing her because of her absurdity, he was careful not to do her any harm. He saw no more of the goblins, and was soon fast asleep in his bed. He woke in the middle of the night, and thought he heard curious noises outside. He sat up and listened. Then got up, and opening the door very quietly, went out. When he peeped round the corner, he saw, under his own window, a group of stumpy creatures, whom he at once recognised by their shape. Hardly, however, had he begun his one, two, three, when they broke asunder, scurried away, and were out of sight. He returned laughing, got into bed again, and was fast asleep in a moment. Reflecting a little over the matter in the morning— HE CAME TO THE CONCLUSION THAT, AS NOTHING OF THE KIND HAD EVER HAPPENED BEFORE, THEY MUST BE ANNOYED WITH HIM FOR INTERFERING TO PROTECT THE PRINCESS. BY THE TIME HE WAS DRESSED, HOWEVER, HE WAS THINKING OF SOMETHING QUITE DIFFERENT, FOR HE DID NOT VALUE THE enmity OF THE GOBLINS IN THE LEAST. AS SOON AS THEY HAD HAD BREAKFAST, HE SET OFF WITH HIS FATHER FOR THE MINE. THEY ENTERED THE HILL BY A NATURAL OPENING UNDER A HUGE ROCK where a little stream rushed out. They followed its course for a few yards, when the passage took a turn, and sloped steeply into the heart of the hill. With many angles and windings and branchings off, and sometimes with steps where it came upon a natural gulf, it led them deep into the hill before they arrived at the place where they were at present, digging out the precious ore. This was of various kinds, for the mountain was very rich in the better sorts of metals. With flint and steel and tinder box, they lighted their lamps, then fixed them on their heads, and were soon hard at work with their pickaxes and shovels and hammers. Father and son were at work near each other, but not in the same gang. The passages out of which the ore was dug, they called gangs, for when the load or vein of ore was small, one miner would have to dig away alone in a passage no bigger than gave him just room to work, sometimes in uncomfortable cramped positions. If they stopped for a moment, they could hear everywhere around them, some nearer, some farther off, the sounds of their companions burrowing away in all directions in the inside of the great mountain, some boring holes in the rock in order to blow it up with gunpowder, Others shovelling the broken ore into baskets to be carried to the mouth of the mine, others hitting away with their pickaxes. Sometimes, if the miner was in a very lonely part, he would hear only a tap, tapping, no louder than of a woodpecker, for the sound would come from a great distance off through the solid mountain rock. The work was hard at best, for it is very warm underground but it was not particularly unpleasant, and some of the miners, when they wanted to earn a little more money for a particular purpose, would stop behind the rest and work all night. But you could not tell night from day down there, except from feeling tired and sleepy, for no light of the sun ever came into those gloomy regions. Some who had thus remained behind during the night ALTHOUGH CERTAIN THERE WERE NONE OF THEIR COMPANIONS AT WORK, WOULD DECLARE THE NEXT MORNING THAT THEY HEARD, EVERY TIME THEY HALTED FOR A MOMENT TO TAKE BREATH, A TAP-TAPPING ALL ABOUT THEM, AS IF THE MOUNTAIN WERE THEN MORE FULL OF MINERS THAN EVER IT WAS DURING THE DAY. AND SOME, IN CONSEQUENCE, WOULD NEVER STAY OVERNIGHT, FOR ALL KNEW THOSE WERE THE SOUNDS OF THE GOBLINS. THEY WORKED ONLY AT NIGHT, for the miners' night was the goblins' day. Indeed, the greater number of the miners were afraid of the goblins, for there were strange stories well known amongst them of the treatment some had received whom the goblins had surprised at their work during the night. The more courageous of them, however, amongst them Peter Peterson and Curdie, who in this took after his father, had stayed in the mine all night again and again, and although they had several times encountered a few stray goblins, had never yet failed in driving them away. As I have indicated already, the chief defence against them was verse, for they hated verse of every kind, and some kinds they could not endure at all. I suspect they could not make any themselves, and that was why they disliked it so much. At all events, THOSE WHO WERE MOST AFRAID OF THEM WERE THOSE WHO COULD NEITHER MAKE VERSES THEMSELVES, NOR REMEMBER THE VERSES THAT OTHER PEOPLE MADE FOR THEM, WHILE THOSE WHO WERE NEVER AFRAID WERE THOSE WHO COULD MAKE VERSES FOR THEMSELVES. FOR ALTHOUGH THERE WERE CERTAIN OLD RHYMES WHICH WERE VERY EFFECTUAL, YET IT WAS WELL KNOWN THAT A NEW RHYME, IF OF THE RIGHT SORT, WAS EVEN MORE DISTASTEFUL TO THEM, AND THEREFORE MORE EFFECTUAL IN PUTTING THEM TO FLIGHT. Perhaps, my readers, may be wondering what the goblins could be about, working all night long, seeing they never carried up the ore and sold it. But when I have informed them concerning what Curdie learned the very next night, they will be able to understand. For Curdie had determined, if his father would permit him, to remain there alone this night, and that for two reasons. First, he wanted to get extra wages that he might buy a very warm red petticoat for his mother, who had begun to complain of the cold of the mountain air sooner than usual this autumn. And second, he had just a faint hope of finding out what the goblins were about under his window the night before. When he told his father, he made no objections, for he had great confidence in his boy's courage and resources. "'I'm sorry I can't stay with you,' said Peter." but I want to go and pay the parson a visit this evening. And besides, I've had a bit of a headache all day. I'm sorry for that, father, said Curdie. Oh, it's not much. You'll be sure to take care of yourself, won't you? Yes, father, I will. I'll keep a sharp lookout, I promise you. Curdie was the only one who remained in the mine. About six o'clock the rest went away, everyone bidding him good night and telling him to take care of himself. "'for he was a great favourite with them all.' "'Don't forget your rhymes,' said one. "'No, no,' answered Curdie. "'It's no matter if he does,' said another, "'for he'll only have to make a new one.' "'Yes, but he mightn't be able to make it fast enough,' said another, "'and while it was cooking in his head, "'they might take a mean advantage and set upon him.' "'I'll do my best,' said Curdie.' "'I'm not afraid.' "'We all know that,' they returned and left him. CHAPTER Eight: THE GOBLINS For some time Curdie worked away briskly, throwing all the oar he had disengaged on one side behind him, to be ready for carrying out in the morning. He heard a good deal of goblin-tapping, but it all sounded far away in the hill, and he paid it little heed. Towards midnight he began to feel rather hungry, so he dropped his pickaxe, got out a lump of bread, which in the morning he had laid in a damp hole in the rock, sat down on a heap of ore, and ate his supper. Then he laid back for five minutes' rest, before beginning his work again, and laid his head against the rock. He had not kept the position for one minute, before he heard something which made him sharpen his ears. It sounded like a voice inside the rock. After a while he heard it again. It was a goblin voice, there could be no doubt about that. And this time he could make out the words. had not we better be moving?' it said. A rougher and deeper voice replied, "'There's no hurry. That wretched little mole won't be through tonight, if you work ever so hard. He's not by any means at the thinnest place.' "'But you still think the load does come through into our house,' said the first voice. "'Yes, but a good bit further on than he has got to yet. "'If he had struck a stroke more to the side just here,' said the goblin, "'tapping the very stone, as it seemed to Curdie, against which his head lay. "'He would have been through. "'But he's a couple of yards past it now, "'and if he followed to the load it will be a week before it leads him in.' "'You see it back there, a long way. "'Still, perhaps in case of accident it would be as well to be getting out of this. "'Helfer, you'll take the great chest. "'That's your business, you know.' "'Yes, Dad,' said a third voice. "'But you must help me to get it on my back. "'It's awfully heavy, you know.' "'Well, it isn't just a bag of smoke, I admit. "'But you're as strong as a mountain, Helfer.' "'You say so, Dad. "'I think myself I'm all right.' "'but I could carry ten times as much "'if it wasn't for my feet.' "'That is your weak point, I confess, my boy. "'Ain't it yours too, father?' "'Well, to be honest, it's a goblin weakness. "'Why they come so soft, I declare I haven't an idea. "'Especially when your head's so hard, you know, father.' "'Yes, my boy, the goblin's glory is his head. "'To think how the fellows up above there "'have to put on helmets and things when they go fighting. "'Ha-ha!' <laughs> "'But why don't we wear shoes like them, father? "'I should like it, "'especially when I've got a chest like that on my head.' "'Well, you see, it's not the fashion. "'The king never wears shoes.' "'The queen does?' "'Yes, but that's for distinction. "'The first queen, you see, "'I mean the king's first wife, "'wore shoes, of course, "'because she came from upstairs. "'And so, when she died, "'the next queen would not be inferior to her, "'as she called it, "'and would wear shoes, too.' "'It was all pride. "'She is the hardest in forbidding them to the rest of the women.' "'I'm sure I wouldn't wear them. "'No, not for—that I wouldn't,' said the first voice, "'which was evidently that of the mother of the family. "'I couldn't think why either of them should.' "'Didn't I tell you the first was from upstairs?' said the other. "'That was the only silly thing I ever knew His Majesty guilty of. "'Why should you marry an outlandish woman like that?' "'one of our natural enemies, too. "'I suppose he fell in love with her. Pooh pooh. "'He's just as happy now with one of his own people. "'Did she die very soon? "'They didn't tease her to death, did they?' "'Oh, dear, no! "'The king worshipped her very footmarks. "'What made her die, then? "'Didn't the heir agree with her?' "'She died when the young prince was born.' "'How silly of her! "'We never do that. "'It must have been because she wore shoes.' "'I don't know that.' "'Why do they wear shoes up there?' "'Ah, now that's a sensible question, and I will answer it. "'But in order to do so, I must first tell you a secret. "'I once saw the Queen's feet.' "'Without her shoes?' "'Yes, without her shoes.' "'No, did you? How was it?' "'Never you mind how it was. She didn't know I saw them. "'And what do you think? They had toes.' "'Toes? What's that?' "'You may well ask. I should never have known if I had not seen the Queen's feet. "'Just imagine. The ends of her feet were split up into five or six thin pieces. "'Oh, horrid! How could the King have fallen in love with her?' "'You forget that she wore shoes. That is just why she wore them. "'That is why all the men, and women, too, upstairs wear shoes. "'They cannot bear the sight of their own feet without them. "'Ah! Now I understand.' If you ever wish for shoes again, Helfer, I'll hit your feet. I will. No, no, mother, pray don't. Then don't you. But with such a big box on my head, a horrid scream followed, which Curdie interpreted as in reply to a blow from his mother, upon the feet of her eldest goblin. Well, I never knew so much before, remarked a fourth voice. Your knowledge is not universally quite yet, said the father. You were only fifty last month. "'Mind you see to the bed and bedding. "'As soon as we've finished our supper we'll be up and going. "'Ha, ha, ha!' "'What are you laughing at, husband?' "'I'm laughing to think what a mess the miners will find themselves in. "'Somewhere before this day, ten years.' "'Why, what do you mean?' "'Oh, nothing.' "'Oh, yes, you do mean something. "'You always mean something.' "'It's more than you do, then, wife.' "'That may be, but it's not more than I find out, you know.' Ha, ha! You're a sharp one. What a mother you've got, Helfer. Yes, father. Well, I suppose I must tell you. They're all at the palace consulting about it to-night, and as soon as we've got away from this thin place, I'm going there to hear what night they fix upon. I should like to see that young ruffian there on the other side, struggling in the agonies of— He dropped his voice so low that Curdie he could hear only a growl. The growl went on in the low bass for a good while as inarticulate as if the goblin's tongue had been a sausage and it was not until his wife spoke again that it rose to his former pitch but what shall we do when you are at the palace she asked i will see you safe in the new house i've been digging for you for the last two months podge you mind the tables and chairs i commit them to your care the table has seven legs each chair three "'I shall require them all at your hands.' "'After this arose a confused conversation "'about the various household goods and their transport, "'and Curdie heard nothing more that was of any importance. "'He now knew at least one of the reasons "'for the constant sound of the goblin hammers and pickaxes at night. "'They were making new houses for themselves, "'to which they might retreat "'when the miners should threaten to break into their dwellings.' "'but he had learned two things of far greater importance. "'The first was that some grievous calamity was preparing "'and almost ready to fall upon the heads of the miners. "'The second was the one weak point of a goblin's body. "'He had not known that their feet were so tender "'as he had now reason to suspect. "'He had heard it said that they had no toes.' He had never had opportunity of inspecting them closely enough, in the dusk in which they always appeared, to satisfy himself whether it was a correct report. Indeed, he had not been able even to satisfy himself as to whether they had no fingers, although that also was commonly said to be the fact. One of the miners, indeed, who had had more schooling than the rest, was wont to argue that such must have been the primordial condition of humanity. And that education and handicraft had developed both toes and fingers. With which proposition, Curdie had once heard his father sarcastically agree, alleging in support of it the probability that baby's gloves were a traditional remnant of the old state of things, while the stockings of all ages, no regard being paid in them to the toes, pointed in the same direction but what was of importance was the fact concerning the softness of the goblin feet which he foresaw might be useful to all miners what he had to do in the meantime however was to discover if possible the special evil design the goblins had now in their heads although he knew now all the gangs and all the natural galleries with which they communicated in the mined part of the mountain HE HAD NOT THE LEAST IDEA WHERE THE PALACE OF THE KING OF THE Gnomes WAS. OTHERWISE HE WOULD HAVE SET OUT AT ONCE, ON THE ENTERPRISE OF DISCOVERING WHAT THE SAID DESIGN WAS. HE JUDGED, AND RIGHTLY, THAT IT MUST LIE IN THE FARTHER PART OF THE MOUNTAINS, BETWEEN WHICH AND THE MIND THERE WAS AS YET NO COMMUNICATION. THERE MUST BE ONE NEARLY COMPLETED, HOWEVER, FOR IT COULD BE BUT A THIN PARTITION WHICH NOW SEPARATED THEM, "'if only he could get through in time to follow the goblins as they retreated. "'A few blows would doubtless be sufficient, just where his ear now lay. "'But if he attempted to strike there with his pickaxe, "'he would only hasten the departure of the family, put them on their guard, "'and perhaps lose their involuntary guidance.' "'He therefore began to feel the wall with his hands.' AND SOON FOUND THAT SOME OF THE STONES WERE LOOSE ENOUGH TO BE DRAWN OUT WITH LITTLE NOISE. LAYING HOLD OF A LARGE ONE WITH BOTH HANDS, HE DREW IT GENTLY OUT AND LET IT DOWN SOFTLY. WHAT WAS THAT NOISE? SAID THE GOBLIN FATHER. CURDY BLEW OUT HIS LIGHT, LEST IT SHOULD SHINE THROUGH. IT MUST BE THAT ONE MINER THAT STAYED BEHIND THE REST, SAID THE MOTHER. NO, HE'S BEEN GONE A GOOD WHILE. "'I haven't heard a blow for an hour. "'Besides, it wasn't like that. "'Then I suppose it must have been a stone carried down the brook inside. "'Perhaps it will have more room by and by.' Curdie kept quite still. "'After a little while, hearing nothing but the sounds of their preparations for departure, "'mingled with an occasional word of direction, "'and anxious to know whether the removal of the stone had made an opening into the goblin's house.' HE PUT IN HIS HAND TO FEEL. IT WENT IN A GOOD WAY, AND THEN CAME IN CONTACT WITH SOMETHING SOFT. HE HAD BUT A MOMENT TO FEEL IT OVER. IT WAS SO QUICKLY WITHDRAWN. IT WAS ONE OF THE TOELESS GOBLIN FEET. THE OWNER OF IT GAVE A CRY OF FRIGHT. "'WHAT'S THE MATTER, Helfer?" ASKED HIS MOTHER. "'A BEAST CAME OUT OF THE WALL AND LICKED MY FOOT.' "'Nonsense. THERE ARE NO WILD BEASTS IN OUR COUNTRY,' SAID HIS FATHER." "'But it was, father. I felt it.' "'Nonsense, I say. "'Will you malign your native realms "'and reduce them to a level with the country upstairs? "'That is swarming with wild beasts of every description.' "'But I did feel it, father. "'I tell you to hold your tongue. "'You are no patriot.' "'Curdy suppressed his laughter "'and lay still as a mouse. "'But no stiller. "'For every moment he kept nibbling away "'with his fingers at the edges of the hole. "'He was slowly making it bigger.' "'for here the rock had been very much shattered with the blasting. "'There seemed to be a good many in the family, "'to judge from the mass of confused talk "'which now and then came through the hole. "'But when all were speaking together, "'and just as if they had bottle-brushes, "'each at least one, in their throats, "'it was not easy to make out much that was said. "'At length he heard once more what the father goblin was saying. "'Now then,' "'he said. "'Get your bundles on your back. "'Here, Helfer, I'll help you with your chest. "'I wish it were my chest, father. "'Your turn will come in good time enough. "'Make haste. "'I must go to the meeting at the palace to-night. "'When that's over, we can come back and clear out the last of the things "'before our enemies return in the morning. "'Now light your torches and come along. "'What a distinction it is to provide our own light, "'instead of being dependent on a thing hung up in the air, "'a most disagreeable contrivance.' Intended, no doubt, to blind us when we venture out under its baleful influence. Quite glaring and vulgar, I call it, though no doubt useful to poor creatures who haven't the wit to make light for themselves. Curdie could hardly keep himself from calling through, to know whether they made the fire to light their torches by, but a moment's reflection showed him that they would have said they did. Insomuch as they struck two stones together, and the fire came. End of section 4